Hello, everyone. You may see a familiar face with us today because we are rejoined by the one and only Diana Fleischman, who we saw in Dallas recently. Austin. <laughs> who we saw in Austin recently for the Natalism Conference, the, the first really major, like non-national based pro-natalist conference out there, which we did not organize, but thoroughly enjoyed. Now, if you can't remember, Diana Fleischman can be found on Twitter as Sentientist. She posts a lot and really interesting, thoughtful stuff, a good mix. So definitely check her out on Twitter. Also, she, you can go to dianafleischman.com or check out the podcast interviews that she does with Aporia. But we are here to talk about the natalism conference, all the gossip, all the fun, because it was interesting. It was not, we didn't know what to expect, right? Well, so, I, mean, uh, I can say I went to it with a lot of apprehension because <laughs> I know the brand of pronatalism that we push on our show. Um, but, you know, when I look at the articles that are attacking us, they're always saying, oh, you know, the pronatalist movement's just like a bunch of like crazy racists and like, great replacement theorists and stuff like that and i assumed going to the conference like there was a part of me that was like oh it's just gonna be like a bunch of like crazy people who are primarily motivated by race politics who mm. you know are just extremely 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 off the reservation or like classic so sometimes when you go to a conservative event they'll just be like a bunch of hucksters like trying to sell you on stupid whatever scams or whatever I saw neither of that at this conference at any sort of large level. It was predominantly like if people were like, what's the category of people? It felt very much like the early effective altruist movement, but much more religious. And I literally couldn't have asked for a better thing in terms of what I saw there. But I'd love to hear your thoughts. I was also a little apprehensive when I joined because, well, I think it's fine to say this. It was not beautifully and competently organized from the beginning. Like they originally reached out to me and Jeffrey and then Jeffrey and I were not thrilled with the lineup at that point. The lineup got totally shuffled around. There's a lot of people that changed at that point. And unsurprisingly, they invited many women who ended up not being able to come because they had small children that they had to take care of. Yeah, so really I also asked them if they would be able to provide childcare and they said, you know, we have no plans to provide childcare. As a side note, they did end up providing childcare. And I can understand their apprehension, given that the conference is running at a pretty big loss for the first year. I thought that that was kind of short-sighted. Although Kevin Dolan later said that he didn't see a lot of interest from other people. And he left his six kids, what a flex at home. I also was a little apprehensive of going because I'm kind of a poser in this space. I only have two kids. I may only ever have two kids. I donated eggs a lot, which is kind of like being a cuckoo more than anything else. And but, I mean, uh, doesn't that technically mean you've had more than two kids? Yes, it does technically mean so. that, but it also means that I have refused to care for them in the way that trads would appreciate me doing. Yeah. I still, so, it's very pronatalist, very pronatalist. It is, it is pronatalist. It's also narcissistic. So, <laughs> so that's another reason. And then when I saw the hit pieces that came out about it, I was thinking, you know, are we going to have Antifa show up? And there was a little bit of in inf information security. They didn't tell anybody even us until the very final minute, what, what floor things were going to be on. It was, there was a lot of security, but you know, what I found out going to tons of conferences over 20 years is that if you invite smart people, it doesn't actually matter that much. What else you do? If smart yeah. people come, it doesn't matter. I mean, the amenities were really good and the scheduling, just because the schedule didn't really finalize until the very last minute. And I met a lot of cool people again, you know, when we were there, you guys are more tech focused you guys are more kind of effective altruist and, and tech focused. And I was also thinking, 
you know, like for example, our mutual friend Ayala was saying, well, I would come to a party there, but I, I wouldn't be welcome. And it's true that she probably wouldn't have been welcome. There were people there who disliked her. Yeah. Out, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, well, I mean, it was interesting. There were some, one of the really interesting things was seeing how unwelcome. So there were some people who went there that were like old school style racist. Like there was uh, this white nationalist, famous whatever guy. Uh, but they seemed to be pretty, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like sad guy in the corner that no one's really interacting with. <laughs> they, they had some people, like I, I know that they, they, they just were not, I think they went, and it was a really interesting thing I noticed, where if I looked at people who were there by age, the the old people were typically operating on older ideologies that they thought would get them a lot of followership among the young people, but mm. the young people were much more interested in messages, like the messages that you had. Yeah, so like, mm. let's let's try and divide it up. Let's think about, so, so Brit, Britt Benjamin, who was there with her four-year-old. By the way, there were only a handful of kids there. There was my daughter. I yeah, brought. there were surprisingly yeah. few, right? Yeah, there was, an, there was a one-year-old who was getting into everything. who was very cute. There was a four-year-old. And then Emma Waters brought her eight-month-old, which made me really grateful that my daughter is not yet that age because it's very hard to keep them entertained. Oh, she had as her hands full. Yeah, as far as the, um, the divide, you know, you guys were saying you thought it was going to be more 70% trad, 30% techie, and yeah. it ended up being more like 70% techie, 30% trad, right? Yeah. And like yeah. deep techie too. Like, uh -huh. I, you know, I have a tech VC background and the companies that they were working on were actually like really impressive often. Yeah. There were a lot of Mormons and a lot of Jews yeah. there. What other, I, I mean, oh, I, I didn't like a decent anything. number of like Baptists, but no, not, I, I expected to see a bunch of tradcasts and there weren't really that There were many. some tradcasts. I was surprised that I didn't see any ultra Orthodox Jews. Mm. Mm. Um, but see, the thing is, I, I don't think, so my definition of pronatalism is that like it exists independent of like a religious background. Like if your religious imperative is to like have a lot of kids and you're just doing it because it's part of your religion and part of that culture, like sort of by default, then you don't get credit for that. But if you're doing it because you have also thoughtfully thought through it, and you may be really religious and you may have a religious imperative, but like, for example, we know some Orthodox Jews who I consider to be very pronatalist because they talk about like, well, there's, you know, the most impactful thing we could ever do with our lives is have kids. We really care about our kids. They're not just like, oh yeah, you know, like, you know, God decided we should have kids and, you know, God has given us this many kids. So I think that we didn't see that many ultra-Orthodox Jews there because many of them are only pronatalist by chance. Like, or they, they have a lot of kids because they're also very religious, but they're first and foremost religious. Does that make sense? Yeah. I disagree. Yeah. And I'm, hmm. That's definitely not what I've seen. I mean, I've, I've noticed a lot of ultra-Orthodox Jews really get the pronatalist message. They get what we're aiming for. And I would have, like, like when I go to other pronatalist events, like if we're putting together, and this may be biasing me because most of the events we've done in the past have been in New York, it's very common to have ultra-Orthodox Jews be at least 30% of the people coming. And yet I didn't meet a single one at the entire event. I met lots of Jews, but not ultra-Orthodox Jews. Yeah, what's yeah. your take on this, Diana? I mean, there's, a, there's an Israeli and Jewish saying that says children are joy. And, you know, they are really into children. And if you go to Israel, Israel is really pronatalist. There's playgrounds everywhere. Mm -hmm. Even when I went to a conference, I went to a sex differences conference with my baby. And there was a, uh, there was quite a few Jews there because the, the organizers were part of the community here in New Mexico, the Jewish community here in New Mexico. They were making such a fuss over my baby, which is not, oh. not even that Jewish a baby. <laughs> so, 
yeah, I, I, I don't know, but I did meet, you know, like there's the guy, I, I was giving a talk and a very sweet moment happened where I couldn't get my baby to settle down. So they moved my talk back a little bit. And oh. it's because my baby was sick. She's generally pretty chill. Mm -hmm. And this father of six, who was also somewhat Jewish, came, swooped in and got my baby to sleep, not only just during my whole talk, but she slept for like an hour after that on my shoulder. He had some magical, you know, effect on her. And so I did, I did meet a lot of fathers of a lot of kids. I do think also, I, I wrote about this on, on Twitter, that I was really struck at the warmth between men and women at, in mm. this conference, because I've never been to a traditional, I mean, I've been to church and I've been to synagogue, but this actually seemed like people were really paying attention to women in a way more than I'd heard about before. Maybe it was because women were underrepresented and they recognized that women there were taking time away, valuable time from their children. You know, Peachy Keenan was a huge hit. So I do. Yeah. Uh, I love I'm her. I'm curious what you guys think about, about this dynamic between men and women, as opposed to at academic conferences. Well, I think part of the stuff at academic conferences is there's so many rules against having sex. And there are a lot of people there who want to have sex and I don't get the feeling that this conference was at all people who were in any way interested in hooking up. <laughs> yeah, that was really True. interesting. A lot of people went there explicitly and they told me this and we're looking at seeing how we can handle this in a follow-up, uh, looking to find a partner or someone to marry. And, and this was true of both men and women. I, I want to be clear about this. Fewer women went, but I noticed among the women who went, more of them were single. And if you want to get an idea of how many of the people at the conference were single, I think like our initial read is around 50% of the people at the conference had zero kids. And this is something oh, wow. we often see with reporters where they'll be talking about the pronatalist movement and they're like, I want to talk to young people in the pronatalist movement who have a ton of kids. Like, that's what I want for our article. And I'm like, the movement started like a year and a half ago. Where, where do you think we're going to, the, these people don't have freaking time machines. You know, this takes time, especially in today's environment. Yeah, there's just that one couple that has 22 kids and like, what, 10 of them were in one year or something but, like that. That, that yeah. doesn't... <laughs> So I, I do think you're right. I think that there it was unusual when I contrasted it with other events that had a similar feel. Like it really felt similar to Manifest. Did you go to Manifest this year? No. Or you know, so this was like the best EA party I've been to recently. No, just for for context, Manifest was this was the inaugural conference essentially of the manifold prediction market. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like Yad was there, Scott Alexander was there, Robin Hansen was there, you know, typical Aleb was there. And it manifest they had on day one, like a betting market for when the orgy would happen or if an orgy would happen. And it ended up happening like the first night. Yeah, I think it was when. Um, it was not even it because why? And it was so odd. Like, I think when people are like, oh, yeah, I mean, academics go to conferences, one idiot laid. But is that really like top of mind? Yes, it's really top of mind at a lot of academic conferences. Even back when I was an academic and I was single, like these are people who are culturally similar to me, everything like that. There do happen to be within the traditional EA community, lots of orgies and stuff happening. This is not rare. And it was notable. And I think it made it easier for men and women to interact, as you said, that this was not on anyone's mind. <laughs> it was too wholesome for that. But here's the other thing is, is I feel even differently from that. I think at many different types of conferences, including conservative conferences. And I would also put this on like the ARC conference, like ARC conference in London, which is like a conservative Davos. That's what they're trying to do. Can you spell out the acronym there? The Alliance of Responsible Citizens. Right. Jordan Peterson, Louise Perry thing. I often feel like when there are women speakers, it is because they're the token female speakers. They're not like 
you're kind of like listening to them and you're like, oh, yes, the female has spoken now. That's good. Let's get that out of the way because I want to listen to the guys speak because those are the ones we all came for. Like there's not really this much like respect for them. And they also don't really have them that much that's interesting to say. So like in other words, I feel like in many of these cases, the women who are selected to speak at many conferences are selected as a diversity checkbox and not as actually good speakers. And what was really interesting is that some of my favorite speakers, including you, Diana, including PG Keenan, were totally my favorite people, like hands down. You know, they Brent's had really, really, really interesting well too. Yes. No. Oh, God. Yeah. But Benjamin's talk was amazing. Yeah. So like this, I was like, wait, whoa. And like, so it, it, this was and I did not expect this because one, it was a trad conference. And, and two, like, I'm so used to like any female speaker being a diversity checkbox and pretty boring and not that substantive and not that unique. And this was totally not the case. And then there was also just this like very big level of respect. I think part of this was just that the ARC speeches weren't as good in general. And the reason why they weren't as good in general is because they were broadcasting them and there was a fairly large audience and it was more speaking to the audience. So it was a chance for people to pick up more followers. It was a general audience. So they defaulted to their stump speeches. Whereas Mm -hmm. with this one, because nobody knew, I mean, this was a oversight and planning. Nobody knew what speeches everyone else was giving. So it meant that everyone had to veer as far away from their default pronatalist stump speech as possible if that's what they usually gave Mm. or move towards a pronatalist stump speech if they weren't used to giving pronatalist stump speeches so like Razib gave a very like not generic at all it was weird and interesting and I liked it but it was like a pronatalist stump speech but that's because he typically doesn't give one of those whereas like Britt Benjamin you know at, at Hereticon she gave the pronatalist stump speech so she ended up giving a speech on uh, uh, no fault divorce and how it makes it harder to form good relationships. And I didn't know this about her. So Britt Benjamin is Patry's ex-wife. We've had Patry on the show before. He's the guy who does Charter City stuff. And she is has been a long time sort of pronatalist advocate. And she did a speech. We should have her on the program. An artificial womb um, advocate too. And she is, is a divorce lawyer. That's what she does for a living. So she was able to talk about that in sort of like really interesting detail. So I think that that was another reason why the speeches were uniquely good but then i also reflect on the women's speeches at events like arc right and they were speeches on like why we should ban pornography or like you know still sort of almost a form of female mate guarding behavior like they were like hmm if I'm going to be honest, like a lot of veiled female mate guarding in the guise of conservative value systems. Whereas here it was more like functionally, how do we solve this? Yeah, I think it's a big tent in the natalism movement. So there's people who are advocating for things like artificial wombs. There's somebody like Emma Waters, who has been beefing online with Richard Hanania about things like surrogacy. There's you guys who are very tech-focused and interested in embryo selection. There was Pat Fagan, who's a very well-known sort of evangelist there, who was back-to-back with me, which I never thought I'd be sharing a stage so closely with an evangelist. And what I was reading about is this guy called Charles Haywood, who was there as well. He came up with the slogan, no enemies to the right. And so I do think that conservatism has become less prone to criticizing other conservatives or other people who are value aligned. So in, in, in my tweet, I said, you know, maybe people were being nice to me because I'm value aligned. And Dolan, Kevin Dolan said, well, you know, people are not that value aligned with you. You are uh, definitely less trad than everyone else. But in some sense, I was value aligned because I showed up with a baby, which, yeah. you know, is more value aligned than, than many people who were there. Yeah. So than many of the childless people. The idea that like, if somebody's value aligned with you, with the message that you're, espousing at that moment, 
that, you know, you shouldn't be critical of them. And, mm. you know, given, given, you know, my, my interaction with Emma, for example, who's at the Heritage Foundation, I would have never expected that she and I would differ so much actually on what we think are some, some good ways to voice forward. This is kind of at the, putting the beginning at the end, but let's talk about what, where this conference was and what it was like. So the whole first day was back-to-back -back speakers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, maybe for you, <laughs> Malcolm, the best rundown of this is actually at American Renaissance, which is a white nationalist uh, website. God. Yeah. So the best rundown of the whole conference, maybe somebody will post something else that's more comprehensive, but that was a summary of each of the talks. And, you know, to our credit, to the Natalism Conference's credit, the American Renaissance writer said, well, natalism doesn't want to be associated with white nationalism. Yeah, that's right. We don't really want to be associated with white nationalism. Thank you. Um, yeah, please and thank you. And then the yeah, second I, day, I, I did my my experience with him at the conference. The guy who was affiliated with him was interesting because I did feel kind of bad for him because I felt like a lot of people didn't want to talk to him or engage with him. And so it's always sad to see somebody being ignored at a conference like this. But it was really exciting to see that the genuinely you had some leaders of that movement show up thinking that their fanboys would be there or that this would be a way to recruit more people and it didn't serve as that for them and that was very heartening to me but yeah the second day was a, an unconference essentially and like a, they they had on on the founding team for the natalism conference someone who was really familiar with stanford d school sessions with working sessions so it was broken into this sort of like people propose working sessions or people go into all day thematic yeah. sessions. They were all suggested by participants and then just dig deep on ideas. The three of us floated around short, like 30 minute rapid fire on conference sessions. The subjects ranged from like, how do you create a, a renegade group of people to help solve academic problems to how do you keep your family and your religion? How do you innovate in education? How summer do you camps, yeah. arrange marriages, summer arrange camps? Marriages, yeah. yeah. There was a, they were a guy actually who, pretty good. Continue. Yeah. There was a guy who wanted to make a, a, a pronatalist romance novel. And yes. This lovely woman there who was watching the children, who had, got a free ticket to watch children. She told me that she has actually read pronatalist romance novels. I think there's Amish romance novels. Oh, there are a lot of that. Amish romance novels. Yeah. yeah. She told me about one that she had read recently where this woman falls in love. She gets married and then she has a, a child with Down syndrome and she runs away from her maternal responsibilities because she's so overwhelmed by having this child with Down syndrome. And then when she goes out into the real you know, on non-Amish world and everybody tells her, why didn't you kill your baby? She realizes how far the outside world has fallen. And so she yeah. goes back to her home and her husband to take care of her baby. And that's the romantic. I think that sounds fascinating. That's a fascinating know. story. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it was pretty well run, but one of the things, one of the reasons I think it was like this second part was well, like it actually was fun the second day, like engaging. One of the guys who was organizing the conference was one of the people who used to run the Singularity Institute. So people who don't know the Singularity Institute, and I keep mentioning, it felt very much like the effective altruist movement from like 2010. And I'm, and I keep asking myself like, why? Like we were talking at one event, like, like, and this is really promising because the EA movement went on to be a very powerful movement in terms of our, our society. And somebody was like, well, I think the way the EA movement did so well is they disproportionately attracted uh, autists. And then like five people, when somebody said that, was like, raised their hands and somebody peeped in the room perfectly at that moment being like, did somebody say autist? <laughs> and, and that's when I realized that, oh yeah, this movement is really disproportionately autistic. And I think the way it's attracting a very similar audience, it, it is a movement tied to an obvious truth or problem in society that is for whatever reason 
socially, you're not allowed to talk about it. So it's the type of thing that's going to draw the iconoclast and the autist disproportionately. You know, with the EA movement, it was most charity is actually pretty ineffective and meant for self-vanity. And that was just an obvious thing. Now everyone says that, but back then that was a controversial thing to say. And now it's population rates are falling really fast and this is actually a problem and we probably should find like steer society in a direction where it can handle this. And so it's acting as sort of both and the early EA movement without all the orgies. <laughs> without all the orgies. Um, Only with pro-natalism. Is, is starting to sort of dip its toe into, not pronatalism at all, but I know many effective altruists who I thought would never have children who've decided to have children. And as much as effective altruists talk about, you know, facts and evidence, it actually is because of peer pressure and because effective altruists are getting to know other people who have children that they've mm -hmm. decided. So Toby Ord, who wrote The Precipice, wrote a, a essay with with his wife, I think, or his Bernadette, about you know how they decided to have a child and how it was going to reduce their effectiveness somewhat, but that it was it was worth doing. And that was a long time ago. That was like I don't know, ten years ago or something like that. And so now I know a few other effective altruists who are now either having children. So what I'm saying is that people are not immune to peer pressure. Even the most rationalist people are not immune to peer pressure. It's so interesting, though, that even doing it, they thought that it would reduce their effectiveness when like, I honestly, it like from a hiring standpoint, when we look at like potential employees, a combination of, of at least some proven competence and then being a parent is such a good combination because they, they're less flighty, they're less flaky, they're more consistent and, you know, they're motivated, you know, and there's a lot of people who in EA, I would never hire, even if they're really intelligent because they're incredibly flaky people, yeah. like profoundly flaky and, and parenting really, uh, creates more reliability in people. So they're probably more effective in odd, odd ways. But yeah, I, what, another thing in terms of like autistic weird populations that were discussed is at one point in one of the on-conference sessions, there was a discussion of like, well, but like what segments of society should we target with these messages who are not already part of this movement and who are not like, you know, mm. obviously like conservative religious and someone, I'm not going to name them, but they're like pretty well known was like, well, I mean, you know, furries are like a great example of a population that could, you know, that is untapped and overlooked. And I, it like, it kind of blew my mind at first to think about it, but he's like, no, listen, like he, he had recently gone to some like really conservative, more like higher profile conference, but right before it was a fur con in the same like venue. And so he met and spoke with some furries and asked them like, for example, about their, their costumes and what they did for work. And the costumes are, you know, like 15 to $20,000. Like you can't, to be a real good furry, like you gotta, you, you gotta have money. You have to have some level of competence and you have to be, I guess, heterodox and, and clever enough to be like, I don't care what society thinks. Cause so you're saying you being know, a furry is like being a parent. <laughs> Simone, I really do not think genuinely they're not a good community to target because for honey and furrydom is hedonism. And mm. so, yes, it has a similar filter in that it's frowned upon by society to talk about, but the honey is different. And so even if you're growing competent people, you're going to draw the people who are not, as you say, are, are flightier or less effective. And freedom, mm. I think, is infantilizing. I think that parenthood is 
is is just a super grown up. I think before you become a parent, you don't know if spending time with your kids is going to cut into your you know video game playing, movie watching time, or if it's going to cut into your work time. That's and for true. some people, it does cut into their work time, and they never you know regain their their effectiveness again. I certainly am not as productive as I was with two kids now than I you know as was with with one. And I'm, I'm I've been listening to you guys talk about how you manage your lives as a way of trying to figure that out. So yeah, the you know, the natalism conference, yeah, it was it was really it was better, much better than I expected. People were extremely warm and and generous with their time. Yeah. I don't think it was just because I was carrying a baby, although I think that helped a lot. Yeah. And, and baby's so cute. She's adorable. <laughs> I can cameo with her in a minute if you want. Well, and it was really easy to talk to new people there. I was also surprised by that. Sometimes yeah. at conferences, there's these conferences where people are like, why are you talking to me? We don't know each other yet. Or yeah. you feel some apprehension about approaching groups. And I noticed none of that was in this conference. There were no cliques. I, yeah. I couldn't, I, mean, I didn't see people who were just hanging out together That's in true. a way that was glommed together the whole time. I didn't notice that at all. Even, you know, the the group of extremely tall men in conservative politics were, were you know, sometimes I feel like- They did oh, cluster. I, they if did we're cluster. sitting down, it's fine, but I can't, you know, but they were very, very, they got, they got down to my level. Hold on, I'll bring the baby out for a minute. Uh, <laughs> I want to see Stella. I want to see Stella. I want to see Stella. No, Stella. So we're going to wrap up this one to start on the next one. Hi. Oh my goodness. Look at you. Oh. Yes. oh, hello. You're so awake. Oh, did we just get a little wink? We kind of got a little wink. Oh my gosh. Hello. Oh, she kills me. She kills me. She definitely like was charmed everyone at, at the conference. Oh, let's see if we get a little smile from you. Good. <laughs> Oh, there we uh, go. Yeah, right. <laughs> anyway, the conference was fantastic. We'd love to see people in future years. And I really do hope that it can grow in the way the EA movement did historically grow. Mm -hmm. And people are like, but then it's going to burn out and sell out. I'm like, yes, that's what happens when something's successful. And then we'll start something else new. <laughs> but I'm really excited. And, and thanks for coming. Yeah, yeah thank it, was, it, was, it was a wonderful time. And it was wonderful to spend some time with you guys as well. Yeah. Yeah, that was one of my favorite parts, not going to lie. But I, I think that's a lot of what like these conferences need to be. And I think that's the one last point that I will end with is that, you know, when when you're building a movement, yeah, it's about sharing the ideas and the unconference sessions and the brainstorming and stuff. But it's also just about showing people that they're not alone and showing them other facets of the community and hanging out. And it was great for that, too. So I'm glad we got to see you. Hi.